0: Core of the Bible podcast number 26, Holiness Above the Twin Sins of Adultery and Idolatry. Welcome to the Core of the Bible podcast. My name is Steve and I'll be your host as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. As you may know, it's my belief the core of the Bible consists of seven main principles of conduct surrounding the topics of kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring the topic of holiness and how our commitment to God, first and foremost, needs to be absolute. But this relational commitment needs also to be reflected within our spousal relationships. These two types of relationships are equivocated in the Bible. So looking first at our spousal relationships, Yeshua stated it this way, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery and that's Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. So believers are commanded to never forsake our commitment to our spouses. Yeshua emphasizes that we should not even think about others lustfully in our hearts. Now, the topic of marriage and divorce can be very complicated. So as you may know, one of my primary goals with the core of the Bible information that I present each week is to try and keep things stated here as simply as possible and to reduce complexity also where possible. But While the Bible speaks very clearly about marriage and divorce, in another sense, it's also very sparse with the information it provides. Surprisingly, marriage as an institution is never explicitly commanded in the Bible. However, the concept of spousal unity is present on the very opening pages of the Bible. In Genesis 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and will join with his wife, and they will be one flesh. Now the word wife in this passage is actually the Hebrew Isha, which is the Hebrew designation for woman. This passage could therefore be more literally rendered as, the man will join with his woman and they will be one flesh. And This is the idea of one man and one woman being united together as a sacred relationship before God in obedience to the laws of our Creator. Beyond this meager description, we really find no other definition specified within the Bible regarding marriage. Now, we do know that historically and culturally, marriage was a communal celebration that could last up to a week. For example, in Genesis 29, beginning in verse 22, it says, Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Fulfill the week of this one, this woman, and we will give you the other also, her sister, for the service which you will serve me with yet seven other years. Now, of course, this passage also indicates the ancient Near Eastern people practiced polygamy. And that's not necessarily God's ideal, as is evidenced by the confusion and strife that such situations caused. So Yeshua clarified marriage and divorce for his audience when he explained about it in the following terms. And this is in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3. Pharisees came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? He answered, Haven't you read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So that they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, don't let man tear apart. They asked him, Why then did Moses command us to give her a bill of divorce, and divorce her? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been so. I tell you that whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries her when she is divorced commits adultery. Now, this should also be understood in the context of the day in which men were garnering divorces for the slightest of infractions that a wife may have caused, such as not preparing a full meal or working later in the field than she was expected to. This concession provided by Moses, just like the other commandments of God, had become corrupted and abused by the elite of the day. So according to Yeshua, the ideal of marriage is one man and one woman. Divorce is not a requirement, but a concession, and should be reserved only when unfaithfulness has occurred between the spouses. Now, the severity of this teaching, which also revealed how rampant divorce had become, is illustrated by the response of the disciples. In Matthew 19.10, it says, His disciples said to him, If this is the case of the man with his wife, it is not expedient to marry. So even they had recognized that if marriage was this big of a commitment, it should not be entered into lightly. Now, for anyone listening to this who maybe divorced, and possibly remarried, I'm certain there were any number of unique circumstances that have led you to your current situation. And as your understanding of God's Word grows and changes over time, you may feel differently about past decisions that were made that led to where you are now. However, it's important to remember that God is always willing to forgive and to provide strength and wisdom to assist those who are earnestly seeking Him right here and right now. We should always be faithful to God's word as we understand it at any given time and whatever situation we're in and then allow God's spirit to mold us and shape us in ways that are appropriate to his purpose. The most intimate of human relationships conveyed in what has become the institution of marriage is likened to our relationship with our Creator. Just as we should have no other intimate relations except with our spouse, we should also have no other gods before God. These commands against idolatry and adultery are tied together. One is our horizontal relationships with our spouses, and the other is in our vertical relationship with God. In the Bible, adultery, while wrong in and of itself, is a metaphor for idolatry. Time and time again, Israel's unfaithfulness with the gods of the surrounding nations is compared to adultery with God. And just as the act of adultery is an affront to the spousal relationship, an act of spiritual adultery in pursuing idolatry is an affront to the holiness of God, and it destroys that relationship. As if to emphasize this point, both of these admonitions are contained within the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, and you shall have no other gods before me. Yeshua carries these base commandments even further into the realm of their origin, in our thoughts. The wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions, and wrong actions are sin. And just like our straying eyes can cause marital unfaithfulness, when our eyes stray from the things of God to the things of this world, we can lose our perspective and make harmful choices. So let's gain some of that perspective by reviewing what Yeshua said, along with some historical commentary for insights. In Matthew 5, 28, Yeshua said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In Ellicott's commentary for English readers, the focus is shown to be even stronger than in the English. Quote, To lust after her, the intent is more strongly marked in the Greek than in the English. It's not the passing glance, not even the momentary impulse of desire, but the continued gaze by which the impulse is deliberately cherished until it becomes a passion. Albert Barnes, in his Notes on the Bible, adds, You have heard that it is said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. Our Savior in these verses explains the seventh commandment. It is probable that the Pharisees had explained this commandment, as they had the sixth, as as extending only to the external act, and that they regarded evil thoughts and a wanton imagination as of little consequence or as not forbidden by the law. Our Savior assures them that the commandment did not regard the external act merely, but the secrets of the heart and the movements of the eye. He declares that they who indulge a wanton desire, that they who look on a woman to increase their lust, have already, in the sight of God, violated the commandment and committed adultery in the heart." Such was the guilt of David, whose deep and awful crime fully shows the danger of indulging in evil desires and in the rovings of a wanton eye. Additionally, Matthew Poole writes the following, We must so interpret the commandments of God as not to extend them only to forbid or command those acts which are plainly mentioned in them, but the inward pleasing of our hearts with such things as are forbidden. The desires of our hearts after them, or whatsoever is a probable means to give us that sinful pleasure of our thoughts, or further inflame such unlawful desires in our souls. So, if we carry these same principles over to the parallel concept of idolatry, we can see how damaging and destructive our lustful imaginations towards things other than God can corrupt and destroy us. And idolatry is more than just worshiping a statue or believing that an inanimate object has power beyond itself. For example, the prophet Samuel conveyed how stubbornness is a form of idolatry. In 1 Samuel 15:23, he says, For rebellion is no less a sin than divination, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. The apostle Paul considers greed and covetousness to be a form of idolatry. It says this in Colossians 3 verses 5 and 6. Put to death therefore your members which are on the earth, sexual immorality, uncleanness, depraved passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Notice how Paul lumps in this idolatrous longing amidst characteristics of depraved passion and evil desire. These are the types of thinking that draw us away from the things of God and from staying true to the path of holiness to which we've been called. We are urged to maintain our holiness as believers, being set apart for the purpose of God by keeping ourselves from being swept away by the lure of the created things that would distract us from our true purpose. Keeping our thoughts pure keeps us from these parallel sins, whether through adultery or idolatry. And the solution for both paths of sinfulness is to keep our eyes on God at all costs. Paul writes the following in one of my personally most quoted passages of the Bible, in Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To avoid adulterous inclinations is to be transformed by focusing on the needs and desires of our spouse based on God's Word. And to avoid the dangers of idolatry is to be transformed by maintaining focus on our relationship with our Creator. Both of these remedies involve a wholehearted commitment to another and not to our own selfish desires, and therein lies a powerful principle of ongoing holiness. Well, once again, I hope I've been able to provide you some ideas and concepts to meditate on further. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, be sure to visit coreofthebible.org to join the conversation through comments, to see daily blog posts on these topics, and to find free downloadable resources regarding the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. Do you have questions about today's topic or comments or insights you'd like to share? Perhaps you found this podcast helpful or encouraging. If so, I would love to hear from you and include listener comments in future episodes. So feel free to email me at coreofthebible@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks for your interest in listening today. As always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care.